Shalom. You've heard it said that Christians want to put back Christ into Christmas. And I have often asked myself the question, what does that really mean? In other words, once Jesus is back into Christmas, what does that look like? What are the specific characteristics of that? I'm wondering, does it mean this? That indeed, we're mixing up this awesome event, the birth of the Messiah, with Santa Claus, reindeer, ornaments, presents, Christmas trees, and elves. It seems like in many cases in the church, the birth of Messiah has been lost amidst the Christmas collage. Seems like the devil, the father of lies, has substituted a holiday for the holy day. I think we should consider an alternative. I think we should restore that which we've lost. Let's try to separate the truth of the gospel from all that hides this time to remember the coming of him, the coming of him who can restore us to the Father if we choose. Now, this begs the question, Jesus' birth, why? What are the reasons for his birth? Why did he come? How do we look upon this event? Do we look upon it as a holiday? A season of joy? Are we to be merry? Or are we aware of the amazing, amazing event that God has actually engineered into that point in history 2,000 years ago? Perhaps God wants to show us how awesome this event actually is. If you Google the phrase, why was Jesus born? You're going to get uh, so many websites, so many different answers. You're going to get five answers why Jesus was born, uh, 16 answers. There was one that really caught my eye, 31 reasons why Jesus was born. Now, each reason was backed up with scripture. And you guys, I have to say that when I read all 31, I couldn't disagree. Quite definitely, they were awesome. It showed the awesomeness of this event, of the birth of the Messiah, the power of this event, and the significance of his coming. Now, I'd like to suggest another way. Another way to understand this, this awesome event and the power of this event and the significance of his coming, not only then, 2,000 years ago, but for all time, from the beginning of time to the end. So let me introduce you to chiastic 
biblical structures. So you can see some websites if you want to go into this deeper, bible-discernments.com backslash Joshua backslash what is a chiasm.html. Another one that's pretty awesome is www.chiasmusexchange.com. Notice there's no E in exchange. So here's a couple of, again, websites where you can actually explore that even further. Now, to try to be very simple about it, in the Bible, it's verses, events, or concepts that become a mirror image of each other. So let me explain. Suppose you're actually reading the Bible and you come to verse D, then you're reading verse C, B, and A, those little boxes, white, blue, and red, that are coming out towards you. But as you're reading verse D and then C and B and A, you say, wait a minute, these are a mirror image or they reflect the verses that became came before D. So it's a mirror image. Let's take a look at one that you're probably familiar with. John F. Kennedy told Americans to ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. So let's take a look at the structure of the chiasm. So the first phrase is, ask not what your country, and then the next phrase, can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. And we can see how the reflection uh, is, is apparent uh, over the middle two phrases. And again, the central point of the chiasm or the central phrase of the chiasm is important the important piece. So really, John F. Kennedy is focusing on what you can do for your country, not the reverse. We're the important ones in relationship to the country and what we can do for it. Here's another one that's biblical, and this is Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So here's the first phrase and the last phrase that are mirror images. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. So we have the implication of one phrase and another phrase implying two, both. The next phrase is either he will hate the one, and the next, the phrase that would be one that mirrors it and despise the other. So we're hating somebody, despising one. And we see the mirror reflection of that, as I've tried to do in the colors. But then we come to the central phrase, and love the other and devoted to the one. So the central part of the chiasm is loving, loving the other, being devoted to the one. And it really has to do with a master. We, we know that we can love many people. We love many people in our families, friends, and so on. But this is in regards to loving God, loving the master, loving the Lord. We want to be totally devoted to him. So this is the purpose of Matthew 6, 24. Now, there's an interesting chiasm that I found where it's a chiasm of the entire Bible. We have the creation, new heavens and an earth. Then Abraham appears. He's going to be 
Through him, the future blessing for all nations will come. Then Moses gives the Torah. There's the Exodus, Israel, a new nation, a nation of priests, as it's quoted in the Bible, in the book of Exodus. Then David, the great king, the great king of all Israel. But then finally, we come to the center of the chiasm, which is Messiah, which is the Christ. Life, death, and resurrection. Jesus' entire life is the center of the chiasm of the entire Bible. Because now we start seeing the reflection. He ascends and he ascends to the throne. It's related to David, the great king. Pentecost, the spirit comes. The church supposedly is started. It's a new people, a new nation of priests. And we see how that's related to Moses, Torah, the Exodus, Israel, a new nation, a nation of priests. And the early church, Jesus said to go into all the earth, and preaching the gospel and making disciples of all nations. It's a mission to all nations related to Abraham. Abraham, through him, would be a future blessing for all nations, and it's Jesus. And the early church was commissioned to go out and bring the good news of the blessing to all nations. And finally, the creation. We get to the book of Revelation. There's a new heavens and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. So it's really kind of awesome that indeed we have this chiasm, not my own. Like I said, I was grateful to patheos.com for that really interesting chiasm of the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. But let me suggest to you that there's another chiasm, another chiasm that's related to the birth of the Messiah. Now let's collect the verses. First of all, as we do, we look at Genesis 1-3, and in the book of Genesis, we talk about the fact that God created light, and there was no sun or moon. That doesn't happen to the fourth day. Now, what's fascinating is Rabbi Eliezer in the second century AD, this rabbi had the opinion that what was that light on day one? There's no sun, there's no moon. He surmised that, is this a picture of the light of the coming Messiah? Interesting. So Rabbi Eliezer brings up the fact that he thinks this is a picture of the light of the Messiah. Then we read in Exodus 6, 6 that God says, I'm going to redeem my people, and he's going to do it through Moses. The phrase is, Moses is considered the first redeemer. Messiah will be considered the last redeemer. And this is actually something written by Rabbi Berechia in the 4th century AD. Moses, the first redeemer. Messiah, Messiah, the last redeemer. And remember, Messiah comes from the Hebrew word Mashiach, and Mashiach translated to the Greek and to the English as Christ. In Exodus 34, 28, God's specific words, the very words of God, the new covenant is the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is the new covenant, a new covenant at Sinai. That's very key, a new covenant. And then in Exodus 3, verse 1, 24, uh, and also chapter 24, verse 13, we talk about Sinai, the mountain of God. And one last verse I want to take a look at before we get into the chiasm is Isaiah 60, verse 19. 
When we study Isaiah chapter 60, it's talking about the Messianic age, that time when Messiah will come. And God has inspired Isaiah to tell us that at that time, the Lord will be your light. And in that verse, it says there will be no need of the sun or the moon. But there's more verses that we have to collect. In the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, and in 1 Peter chapter 1, 18 through 19, Yeshua is called the Redeemer. In Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through two, uh, verses 1 and 2, and in Zechariah chapter 8, verse 3, Jerusalem is now called the mountain of the Lord. The mountain of the Lord moved you guys. It was at Sinai, and now it's at Jerusalem. Matthew 26, 27 through 28. When we read that, Jesus lifts up the cup, and he said, this is a cup of a new covenant in my blood. And the new covenant is established by the Redeemer, Yeshua, at the mountain of God, which is Jerusalem. Amazing. Jesus, the Messiah, he's the light in the darkness. He's not the sun. He's not the moon. He is the light who is to come. This is exactly what it says in John chapter 1, verse 9, the light that is to come. And when you read John chapter 1, it's as if John is saying that Jesus is the Word. The Word was there at the beginning of time in the creation. Jesus is also the light, the light shining in the darkness. The light on day one of the creation that was shining in the darkness because there was no sun or moon. Uh, it's interesting. John, a Jew, a very committed Jewish believer, who proclaims Jesus as Lord and Savior and as God, he's years ahead of Rabbi Eliezer. Could it very well be that even in Jesus' day, we're talking about the fact that that the light on day one of the creation is like a picture of Messiah's light? John seems to be saying that in John chapter 1. And then we come to Revelation 21, verse 23. And it says that the new Jerusalem will be lit up by the lamp of the Lamb. Now, if you take the word lamp and you go to the Greek, and you go to the Greek and take it to the Septuagint, the Septuagint again is the translation of the Hebrew Bible from Hebrew to Greek. So when we take that Greek word and we find what Hebrew word it translated in the Old Testament, we find out it's menorah, the menorah of the Lamb, the menorah of the Messiah, the light of Jesus, and there's no sun or moon. Now, with all of these verses, let's take a look at a new chiasm. The light of the new creation with no sun or moon. The end is the light of Messiah in the new Jerusalem with no sun or moon. The chiasm continues. Moses is the first redeemer, but Messiah Yeshua, Jesus the Christ, is the last redeemer. There's a new covenant at Sinai, at the mountain of God. Yeah, and there's a new covenant at the mountain of God in Jerusalem. And in the center of the chiasm is the light 
the light in the darkness has come. And Jesus as the light is not the sun or the moon. And all of a sudden we see a chiasm of the light. We see another chiasm from Genesis to Revelation. Pastor. 